Welcome to our first online worship uh, where we're doing it just strictly online. The, the whole situation has been a little weird for me. I tried to treat this Sunday's message like any other Sunday. I got up, I got dressed, I asked God to help me preach, and I made a cup of coffee. And then I frantically tried to finish up my sermon before church starts. That's just like any other normal Sunday. Um, I don't know how you've been handling the shuts downs and the, the rumors and the fear, but I've had my ups and downs. It's, it seems like the storm maybe has been brew, brewing for quite a while. And now we've been hit with the reality that we don't have control over anything. This whole situation um, with the local businesses losing income and the shelves of Kroger's and Walmart emptying so quickly, it, it highlights what we all know, but we don't want to admit. There is a reality of uncertainty and an absence of control in our lives. We just don't ever like to be face to face with that reality. When things get hectic, what I, I, I have a tendency to be even more selfish than usual. And I think I got scared a little bit the other day and rushed to Kroger and I bought all the green beans. Who needs three giant cans of green beans? When things get hectic and out of control, I tend to run from God's presence and God's clear instructions. Maybe, maybe you feel that way too. Maybe you're starting to feel a little bit hemmed in. Maybe things are getting a little bit out of control in your life and you've come face to face with the reality that you're not in control either. Maybe you've done some crazy things like I did. Maybe you've gone on a food run or worse. Maybe you've been the one hoarding the toilet paper. And now that you think about it, you realize that it was a little bit silly. I, I love this quote from the Reverend Chris Elkins. He recently wrote, and here's the quote, the reality of uncertainty and the absence of control are the most distressing things I'm experiencing in all of this. There's no certainty about how this virus will spread or whom it will impact, and you can feel the economic uncertainty. And I have zero control of the stock market, the hoarding, or people's compliance with guidelines. The coronavirus did not create this reality, it just made it clear, control is an illusion. I often cannot even control myself, much less anything outside of me. End quote. So where do we turn when we come face to face with the reality that we're not in control of our future and never have been? Where do we look when we come face to face with the reality of uncertainty? And what happens when the future we envisioned doesn't come to pass? How can we trust God in this new reality? We turn and look to the Word of God. Today we want to explore how we can turn to God even when things are going crazy. How we can trust in His providence and love when our future seems even more uncertain than usual. And how we can trust that anything God allows, He can redeem. Not only for our good, but the good of those around us. This is exactly what we find in the writing from the prophet Jonah. I didn't plan on preaching from Jonah this week, um, but the prophet Jonah confronts us all with the sobering and comforting fact that God is ultimately in control. He knows when His people suffer and He steps in to give relief. There was one verse in Jonah that really jumped off the page to me, and it's the reason why we're going to Jonah today. Um, in Jonah chapter 4, verse 1, in the New Living Translation, it says this, and this, this really grabbed me right in the heart. It says this, this change of plans greatly upset Jonah, and he became angry. Jonah 4.1. <laughs> that verse stuck out to me because I think we've all had to change plans. I think we've had to make adjustments, and I think some of us have gotten angry about it. The book of Jonah in chapter 1 that we're going to study today has a clear call to action about what we must do when we enter into a crisis or a storm. 
So turn in your Bibles to Jonah chapter 1 right now, and we can see what our best course of action is when things are even more out of control than usual. Here's what Jonah 1 says. I'm going to read uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 16. You read along with me. I'll be reading out of the New International Version today. Uh, just about any translation is a good translation. But here's what this one says. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come before me. I love those clear instructions to Jonah the prophet. You know, Jonah the prophet, he had this... Uh, he had this... Uh, Ability in the Old Covenant to experience the presence of God and God's exact words to him. In the New Covenant, we get to experience the presence of God by the indwelling Holy Spirit. We have the word of the Lord in our scripture already given to us and before us. We kind of know what God's will is. But in the Old Covenant, to know the will of God, you had to have a prophet come in and say, This is the word of the Lord. Thus said the Lord. Jonah had this amazing connection with God. He knew what God's presence felt like, and he was God's conduit to other people around him. When Jonah spoke, he spoke the word of the Lord. And here we have clear instruction to Jonah to go preach in Nineveh because their wickedness had come before the Lord. Verse 3, But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. And after paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Wow. He experienced the presence of God and the word of God and got clear instructions, and he ran the opposite direction. Verse 4, the Lord, Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. I love how Terry Wardle reads that. He said, every time I read, the ship threatened to break up, I can imagine in my mind a ship speaking to the sailors. Hey, you better hold on. I'm going to break up here. I, he thinks that's hilarious. I think it's kind of funny, too. The ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. And the captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up, call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who's responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What's your country? From what people are you? Notice Jonah's answer. He answered all their questions but one. Verse 9, I'm a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Notice what he didn't answer. Their question to him, what do you do? He was a prophet of the Lord. He was supposed to go tell people about God and what God says and yet, he had ran away from that duty. He'd run away from his responsibility. He'd run away not only from the presence of God, but from the word of God and the clear instruction from the Lord. He couldn't answer that question. Verse 10, though, they were terrified of what he did answer. His answer terrified them, and they asked, What have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, and so they asked him, What should we do to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it's my fault that this great storm has come upon you. 
I think a lot of times God uses the storms in our lives to call our attention to Him, to turn our hearts and our minds back to the Lord. All through the scripture, God had used plague and sickness and storms of life to get people's attention. What would it take to get your attention to turn back to God? Would it take a storm? Would it take the wind crashing down? Would it take your, your mode of transportation threatening to break up? Would it take your lifestyle and your calendar and throw it all away? Would it take a quarantine in your own home to get your attention to turn back to the Lord? Jonah recognized that he was going to have to turn back to the Lord and die to self and live for the Lord for things to change. Let's continue on in the scripture. Verse 13. Instead, instead of throwing Jonah overboard, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. They cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man for you, Lord. Have done as you pleased. And then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. I think there's a huge takeaway, one big takeaway from chapter 1 of Jonah. When the storms of life come and everything gets hectic and everything gets really uncertain, I think the big takeaway we need to see from chapter 1, and I think it teaches it all through the Scripture. All through the Scripture, we have this clear word from the Lord. We must die to self and live for God. You want to know what to do in the hectic situation and life that's going around around you? You want to know what to do to turn back to the Lord? You want to know what to do when He sends a storm your way to get your attention? Die to self and live for the Lord. This is what Christ did for us. This is the story of the gospel. Jesus left heaven to save us, dying to himself and living for God. In John chapter 6, I know he says, I can only do what the Father tells me to do. In Romans and in Corinthians and all the gospels, it explains clearly that Jesus Christ died for us so that we could be saved. He calls us to live and copy that lifestyle. Jonah was a foreshadowing of Jesus Christ. When Jonah realized he must die to self and live for God, that's when peace came in the midst of the storm. That's when people started turning their lives to God and worshiping Him. That's when things began to change. I don't know how hectic it is in your life, but if you start dying to yourself and increasingly die to self and increasingly live to the Lord, it doesn't matter what storm is going on in your life, you will receive peace from God. I think there are three ways that we can die to self and live for the Lord. Three things. Devote, deliver, and donate. Number one, devote. This is pray and fast with your devotion time. You know, fasting helps us understand how we grow in our ability to die to self and rely on the Lord. Every time we give up a little bit of something, we give up some food, we have to start relying on the Lord. There's an article that I just read yesterday about how a pastor in China began to deal with what circumstances they had had. He said he was the only foreigner in the airport. They had begun roping off as they flew back in, and this was in late January, when the coronavirus had begun to affect a lot of the businesses in China. He said when he got back to his church, they were told, you can no longer meet in this uh, 
assembly hall, this large gathering area. They close it off. Then they, they did this self-quarantine in the city he was in. Um, we can't mention it because of the danger that he faces there. And the quarantine was they couldn't have any large gatherings anyway. So not only could they not meet in the place where they wanted to meet, but they weren't allowed to gather in a large group anyway. Does that sound familiar to any of us? And so what they decided to do was they, started, they decided to meet in small groups of 10 to 15 in their homes, and they decided to take care of one another by using video chats and um, taking walks together outside and praying for each other. They would pray for each other together just six feet apart. <laughs> I think we ought to turn to God with prayer and fasting like that church in China did. And I think we should pray and fast in three areas. We should take a bit of scripture, and we should meditate on it, maybe Psalm 91. And as we meditate on how Psalm 91, here's what it says, let me turn over here. As we meditate on Psalm 91, even the first couple of verses, this can become our meditation and devotion that we use when we stop eating, just maybe a meal for, for one day out of the week and begin to pray. Here's what Psalm 91 says. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Now, God never tells us that we won't get sick if we follow Christ. And God never tells us we won't suffer if we follow Christ. But what He does promise us is that no matter how we leave this world, our future is guaranteed. You want to know what to do when your future seems out of control? Turn to God and trust Him because He promises to be in control of your future. So please, fast and pray in these three areas. In your devotion, pray for our health care workers, pray for the healing of our land, and pray for our own hearts to turn back to God. First, we need to pray and fast for our medical workers. Uh, my wife is uh, already feeling it in her workplace. You know, she um, has already doesn't have, she works at a hospital, she already doesn't have enough supplies, and the doctors and nurses there don't have enough supplies to keep them safe from uh, being exposed to COVID. And everybody knows where she's working, in the back of their mind, they're going to get COVID-19. They'll bring it home to their families while, while they're on quarantine, and then they will leave the hospitals short-staffed. That's a lot of pressure that the medical staff is dealing with. Then they're scared they're going to infect their families and they have to make harder and harder decisions like they're having to do in China and Italy and Korea. And um, they're really worried that they may be the reason that their loved ones are exposed to this virus and then suffer and die. Medical staff and workers all, all over the United States are beginning to suffer from pre-traumatic stress disorder. We've all heard of post-traumatic stress disorder. That's when you experience a trauma and then uh, you have negative thoughts that just flood your mind because you keep going back to that suffering. Well, our nurses and our doctors and our medical staff, they are seeing the lack of supplies and they're worried about their loved ones and they're worried about leaving uh, the hospital short-staffed and they're worried about uh, maybe having an, a flood of people who are sick and they're experiencing the the stress of the trauma without the trauma. It's called pre-traumatic stress disorder. So start praying and fasting for our healthcare workers. Start praying and fasting that uh, they would trust in God, that they would be protected in their own health, and that they would be able to turn to God and find peace. So because our nurses and doctors are beginning to suffer from pre-traumatic stress disorder, we need to start 
by devotion with prayer and fasting in these areas, that God would protect our healthcare workers. And see how we can start praying and fasting for others is just a small way to die to ourselves and live for the Lord. The second thing we need to pray and fast for is that God would heal our land. There are already that some that are sick, but there are those that will be sick with COVID-19, and there are some that are sick without COVID-19. More importantly, there are thousands in Wilmington alone that are far from the Lord. And it won't matter if everyone in the entire land has perfect health if they're bound for hell. Pray that they get healthy, but more importantly, pray that they find Christ. Also, number three, pray and fast that God would reveal in our own lives what areas that we're still holding on to selfishly. Maybe we're grabbing onto the illusion of control, and maybe this storm is bringing us face to face with the reality that we've always lived in uncertain times, and we've always had the absence of control. But the storm has made, uh, of these last few days has made it abundantly clear that we are dependent and have always been dependent on the God who controls the storm. Just like Jonah found out. You know, in Jonah's verse here, when uh, God sent a great wind, verse 4, on the sea, and it caused such a violent storm that the ship threatened to break up. Maybe this storm is beginning to reveal things in your life because your life is beginning to break up. And when they asked Jonah, what do we need to do? He said, pick me up and throw me into the sea. That's our clear call to die to ourself and live for the Lord. When we pray and fast, that's just a small way in, a, in our devotion to die for self and live for the Lord. The number two way that we can die to self and live for the Lord is to deliver, devotion, devote and deliver. Latasha Ruddle at Cape May has uh, taken several residents there and taken their picture and they've been holding a sign. Some of the signs say, I love you. Some of the signs say, I miss having visitors. And they're all sweet and they're just lovely. I know some of them personally because I do a Bible study there on Tuesday. Latasha sent me an email asking if I knew if anyone could send a picture back with their own sign just to encourage the residents of Cape May. Here's what we can do as an entire church. We can email a picture of our church or our family with our own sign that says we're still thinking of you and we love you. If you email it to mail at wcconline.org, a picture of you or your family with a sign that says we love you, we're thinking of you, we pray for you. If you mail that, email that, we'll make sure Latasha gets it at Cape May. Just giving a picture and a sign, taking the time to do that is another small way to die to self and live for the Lord because we're starting to think about other people. This is how Christ wants us to think and live. Number three, we need to devote, we need to deliver, you know, devote in prayer and fasting, deliver with a, a, just a picture of your family to Cape May residents. And number three, we need to donate. You know, our church is already great about giving. And for the past year, we've been learning how to sacrificially give too. Sacrificial giving is anything above and beyond our normal tithes and offerings. And we've been so good at this. We've brought in offerings first to the Lord and then given above and beyond so that others could receive financial assistance. We've given sacrificially to um, New Life Clinic and Your Father's Kitchen and Butler Springs Christian Camp. And we've even given sacrificially to missionaries and missions. It seems that it might have been the providence of God that we had not planned any sacrificial giving for the month of March and April. But now, we have a clear reason to do so. There will be many who will need financial assistance in the next several weeks. Small business owners, substitute teachers, people through no fault of their own who are going to have trouble making ends meet. As a church, we want to help. We want to die to self and live for the Lord. 
We already have a budgeted light item for members of our church called Brighter Transitions, where we go and give financial assistance to, the, that, to those who need a pick-me-up. And we have a line item for community members called Benevolence. But I have a feeling we're going to need to boost those accounts. One of our church members, Jeannie Christian, called just yesterday and asked what would be the best way for her to give to the church. Jeannie has a compromised immune system, and she knows that if she gets sick, that means others have to take care of her. So she's trying to be extra careful. Jeannie called and asked, would it be okay to mail in her offering? Snail mail is a great way to continue to keep ministries going, and we have several people giving by mailing in their offering. Another way to give is online. If you give online, you'll have the opportunity to give to the general fund, your regular offering or tithes, but you also have the choice to give in the sacrificial giving drop-down menu. All monies received in the sacrificial giving drop-down toolbar for the rest of this month and April will go to help those in our church and in our community who are going to need financial aid due to the shutdowns in our area. Remember, we give first to the Lord, those are our offerings and tithes that you've set aside for ministry and missions of your local church, and then we give sacrificially. If we can do so cheerfully, we need to do it because we know others are going to be in worse shape than we are. Donating, giving, is just another small way to die to self and live for the Lord. What would happen if you did these three things? Like Jonah, who finally came to the realization that if he would die to himself, he could end up protecting others and saving lives. If we answer that call of the Lord, and it's found all through Scripture, if we can answer that call of the Lord to die to self and live for the Lord, what would happen to those around us? If you died to self and lived for the Lord in three ways, imagine if you devoted yourself to God in prayer and fasting, if you had delivered a picture to Kate May, or you donated money above and beyond your offering to help someone else in financial need, imagine what would happen. First, it will reveal God's love. Every time we turn away from our own selfish desires and turn to give ourselves away to display God's love, people find out more and more about the difference Jesus makes in our lives. It will cause someone to turn to God. Your sacrifice, your love, your ability to give the same grace that Jesus gave you will plant another seed of faith in someone else's heart. Imagine, imagine what happens when someone at Cape May, who hasn't had a visitor in about two weeks, receives a note that they're not forgotten. Imagine the smile on their face. Imagine how it will lift their spirits. Won't they turn to God and praise Him? That's what happened with Jonah when they threw him in the water, when he sacrificed himself and the water became calm. This was what caused those sailors to turn to God and worship. Verse 16, At this the men greatly feared the Lord. They offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to Him. Imagine if we all did that as a church. What if the whole church, everyone online today, sent a picture in to Cape May? Imagine the residents being overwhelmed with our love. Won't they turn and worship God because of our kindness? because of the gift, because we died a little bit more today to self and live for the Lord. And what if we all donated a little bit toward helping our community, the whole church? The effects of our sacrifice will just highlight the sacrifice of Christ for us. This would be a perfect time in our worship to go to the Lord in communion, to participate in the body of Christ as the body of Christ, online, at home, going to the Lord with the bread and the cup. 
So if you haven't already gone and gotten your bread and cup, do so right now. What we're going to do is we're going to continue on that same idea that we need to die to self and live for others by remembering Jesus' sacrifice for us so that we could truly live. There's a passage of scripture over here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that perfectly explains this big idea from Jonah chapter 1 and the big idea throughout the entire Bible for the responsibility of Christians. Die to self, live for the Lord. Here's what it says in our communion meditation that reminds us of what Christ did for us. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14 and 15. For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. When we go to communion, we are reminded that Jesus Christ died for us. When we eat that bread, we're reminded his body was broken. When we take that cup, we're reminded that his blood was shed so that we could receive forgiveness. But it doesn't end there. We're reminded of the sacrifice, but we're also reminded of the resurrection. When Jesus came back to life, he is calling us, propelling us to live a life like his. And this weekly reminder of the bread and cup reminds us of the, not only of his sacrifice, but of what we are called to sacrifice so that others could know the love of Christ. I'm going to pray over our communion. And when I finish praying, would you take time just to eat the bread and take the cup and remember the sacrifice of Christ until he comes again to take us home? Let's pray. Lord, we come to you from our homes and from our offices, from our living rooms, and from within our own families. We come to you to remember the sacrifice of Christ by participating in communion. As we take this bread, Lord, help us to remind, uh, remind ourselves that we are called to live a life like Christ. And as we drink that cup, help us remember that everywhere we've failed has been forgiven and covered over by the blood of the Lord. And as we finish up, help us to move into a life of sacrifice, giving of ourselves like Christ did for us so that others may live. We thank you for that, that story, that foreshadowing of Christ from the prophet Jonah. But most of all, we thank you for Christ's sacrifice for us. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.